Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. My goodness, what a place in the Word of God. Both the commentaries, actually all the commentaries that I read, but in particular the two that I respect the most, had the, said that this was perhaps one of the most dramatic speeches ever given within Scripture. That Paul shows the wonderful, wonderful grace of God. What Paul is going to demonstrate, um, make no doubt about it, he is going to allow King Agrippa, Bernice, who is his sister traveling maid, if you know what I mean, and uh, the governor Festus, and all the dignitaries that are there in Caesarea to hear, hear him, Paul, speak. He's going to allow them to know one thing, and one thing for sure, that they can have salvation through Jesus Christ, who was resurrected from the dead. But what he's going to let them know is that their sins nor their past can stop them from God loving them. And Paul is going to use himself as the prime example of that. He's going to share with them, as he's going to make mention when we read through this, that he was a Pharisee. When he says that, he is saying something that is quite dramatic. He is saying that he has set aside all of his traditions for the sake of knowing and loving the Lord his God through the person of Jesus Christ who went to the cross, died on the cross, and, and was buried, and then three days later rose from the dead. You know, I proclaim to you that here at this church, I say this every Easter when, when we get people that come and visit us and, and normally we have a, uh, more people that come. Some people only come to church once in a while. And, we, and I explain to them that we believe here at this church that Easter is every Sunday, every day really. We, we worship a risen Savior every single day of our lives. And that's the very crux and that's the very cornerstone of what we believe as, as those who call themselves whatever you want to call it, Christians, uh, uh, believers, follower of Jesus Christ, whatever. We have chosen to believe in the resurrection every single day. And so Paul is, is making this crystal clear in his comments to them that he is a, a Pharisee and, and he has come a great distance from what he used to believe to what he believes today. And I want you to, if you can, please with me, feel the passion in Paul's heart. It would have been my, my deepest prayer that if, if Paul could have been with us this morning, if Paul would have given this message to you and me, I think we would have sensed a great passion in his heart, not only for his Lord, but for you and for me, that we would, we would believe with all of our hearts what he is proclaiming to these people in Caesarea. He is doing what God said he was going to do. He is now speaking before kings and people of prominence, just as the Lord said he would do. If you remember what has taken place before we start reading in chapter 25, we, we need to know that, that Paul was on trial, trial for his life. They could not convict him of anything. The governor, Festus, when he had Paul on trial to do the Jews a favor, he said, Paul, let me take you back to Jerusalem and let's try you there. And Paul says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. 
No, I appeal not to you. I appeal to the emperor. I appeal to Caesar. And so Festus agrees. I will send you to, to Caesar, therefore. During that time, when this trial was kind of taking place, King Agrippa, for whatever reason, came into Caesarea along with Bernice, his sister friend, you know. And they come into town, and, and King Agrippa says, if you'll look with me now in chapter 25, King Agrippa said to Festus, verse 22, verse 22, King Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself, speaking of Paul. So Festus says to him, tomorrow you shall hear him. So they, they, they organized quickly this great, great um, meeting of the prominent people in Caesarea to hear Paul. Now everybody came because the name Paul was so well known that most people wanted to see what it is this man was like, what did he look like, and what kind of a message is he giving that is turning the world upside down. And so they all show up. And they show up in their finest regalia. They are dressed to the max. As, as verse 23, when we read it in a minute, says, they, they came in amid great pomp. They are dressed to the max. This is a, an important occasion for them. And then they bring in Paul. And instead of Paul fighting for his life, he gives a message that, that fights for their eternal lives. Paul, you see, was already free. Even though he was a prisoner in chains, he was free. The people who were in bondage, the people who were truly entrapped, were those that didn't know Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to give them that opportunity at this time. Listen to this message. I'm going to read uh, much more uh, than we'll cover today. But I want to read the whole message that Paul gives so that you and I might get the flavor of the passion of this dear man. In verse 23 of chapter 25, it says, And so, on the next day, when Agrippa had come together with Bernice, amid great pomp, and they entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen here present with us, you behold this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. Verse 25, Festus says, But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet, he says in verse 26, I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me to send a prisoner, not indicating also the charges against him. Chapter 26, verse 1. And so Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, 
especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they are willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. Verse 8. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did at Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, But also, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Consequently, verse 19, Paul says, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring to both those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout the whole region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Verse 23, very important. That the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24. While saying this, in, in defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. 
Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And then Paul looks at King Agrippa in verse 27 and says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. King Agrippa understood what was taking place. If you'll note by what King Agrippa said in verse, is it 27? In verse 27, he says, look at Paul, if you don't be quiet in a little while, you're going to convince me to become a Christian. You see, Paul wasn't, wasn't, wasn't trying to defend himself. And King Agrippa, listening to all this, is, is understanding exactly what Paul is trying to do. Paul is reaching out to King Agrippa, to Bernice, to Festus, to everyone there. He is reaching out to you and me. And he is saying, come to believe. Come, come to believe. And King Agrippa says, whoa, Paul, whoa. Slow down. You're going to keep up on this. In a short time, you're going to convince me to be a Christian. And Paul said these magnificent words. He says, oh, king, oh, king. Whether it be a short or long time, it doesn't matter to me. You see, we say here at this church how you've come to Christ, when you came to Christ. All of those things are are immaterial to us. What's important to us at this church is what is important to me as someone who loves you from the very bottom of my heart is not how you started your walk with Jesus Christ, but how you and I are going to finish our walk with Jesus Christ. If we'll be on fire, if we'll have a passion and a, and a desire to serve him all the days of our lives, that's what Paul is saying. And so Paul says, oh, king, whether it's a short time or a long time, I don't care just that you would come to Christ, not only you, king, but everyone who hears me this day, that you'll be just as I am, lest these chains that I'm wearing. And so as you can see plainly by this, just this part of the scripture Paul is not fighting for his life. He's already free. Paul is fighting for their lives, their eternal lives. And so it is with that intent that I would love to study this place of Scripture with you. I'd like to have you pray with me and ask the Lord to kind of empty us of our thoughts and and kind of allow us to kind of think about what the Bible is saying to us this morning. Not me so much. I I pray that I'll be out of the way. But that we might hear what the Bible is saying. We might hear what Paul has so faithfully preached to these dear people. But not just to these people, but to you and me. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold absolutely wonderful things from your law. Father, we are honored to study your word this morning. We are honored to understand and know more about you if that be possible. And so I ask that you move me aside, Father, please, so that we might hear the heart of Paul. We might sense that you're speaking to us through your apostle Paul and that you have a message for each and every single one of us here this day. 
whether it's to come to know you and believe in you and trust in you with all of our hearts or whether it is to uh, kind of make a renewal of our walk with you so that we might walk with you the rest of our days and with passion and, 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 a, and a, an intensity, Father, that you so richly deserve. Dear Father, please accomplish your purpose in and through our lives this day, I pray with all of my heart, I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In verse 23, chapter 25, simple words, amid great pomp. The Greek word for pomp is P-H-A-N-T-A-S-I-A-S. It simply means pageantry, but it goes deeper than that. We get the word fantasy from this word. It suggests that what is taking place here in this auditorium that Paul is walking into, chained in his prison clothes, This is something of over-the-top display of pride and power from these people. If the truth be told, the only real royalty in that room is none other than the prisoner, the Apostle Paul. He is truly a born-again child of the King of Kings. He's royalty, just as you and I are. If you and I have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're just royalty. We are special people. Not because of who we are. We're special because of whom we believe in. The one that died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead so that we might have everlasting life. We are special and unique because of Him. Not because of what we do, but because of who He is. Agrippa... And Paul, what a contrast. Agrippa, as, as it says, came in with great pomp. He, has, he, had, he was probably uh, dressed in his royal purple robe, purple meaning uh, uh, royalty. He probably had his crown on. He probably had all the rings on that he owned and, 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 and his scepter, his staff to show everybody there he is the king. On the other hand, Paul comes in chained, shackled, and he's probably wearing prison clothes that was hand-me-downs from the last prisoner that was either released or died. Agrippa is an earthly king, but he is enslaved to his sin. Paul is a chained prisoner, but he's as free as anyone in that place, free and forgiven of his sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Agrippa, a king. Paul, an ambassador of the King of Kings who has the words to eternal life to everyone who hears and everyone who believes. Now, once everybody was seated, when we take a look at the contrast, Paul walks into the midst of this auditorium, standing before them all. Here's Paul, a simple, yet Scripture does tell us he was a powerful man, but But in in 2 Corinthians 10.10, we read this about Paul. It says his letters were weighty and very strong, but his personal presence was unimpressive and his speech contemptible. His speech was contemptible because Paul would tell them just the truth. Paul wanted to to set these people free and he knew that his ideas of, of religion were not what ought to be told. What ought to be told is what God told him to say. And so Paul says two and two are not three. They are not five, but two and two are four. 
And so if you remember when we read, look back on chapter 26. Look at chapter 26 for a moment. Remember, while Paul was saying these things, look at verse 24. In the middle of his talk, Festus stands up and with a loud voice says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad because Paul just said in verse 23 that Jesus Christ was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to be risen from the dead. So Festus had enough of that, says, you're crazy, Paul. And look what Paul says in verse 25. He said to Festus and everyone there, he says, I am not out of my mind. He says, I am uttering words to you of what? Sober truth. He says, finally, finally, you've run across someone that's going to tell you that two and two are four. And that without Jesus Christ in your life, you are condemned forever to hell. Remember, he said the same thing to Felix. And when, when he talked to Felix, if you remember back, he talked to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment that was going to come. And when he got to those three issues, Felix says, get out of here. Remember? He became frightened because he had to come face to face, face to face, face to face with his eternal destiny. And it scared him to death. And so Festus says, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm speaking to you, he said, words of sober truth. And may I say, now you're going to have to deal with it. Paul, when he walked in the room, (laughs) here's this guy. We already know what he looks like. He's he's, he's not impressive at all. He's kind of a short guy. He's balding. Way to go, Paul. And he's... (laughs) And he and he's got these bold legs, and he's nothing to look at. I could almost imagine the murmurs, and, and you could too, of the surprise, because most of these people didn't know what he looked like. Never seeing him before, they probably found it hard to believe. How can a man that looks so unimpressive cause so much controversy and 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 kind of turn the world upside down? What is there about this guy? So they were anxious to hear him. Now, one of the main reasons we need to go over this in verses 24, 25, 26, and 27, the main reasons, chapter 25, the main reason, one of the main reasons that Festus wanted this meeting was to find out how is he going to send Paul to to, uh, Caesar? How is he going to send him to Rome? He has nothing to say. He's found nothing about this guy's guilty. So he can only imagine if he sends Paul to Rome to the Caesar... Caesar's going to say, what What do you want me to do? So he says, I better have something. Look, look what he says. Here's, here's why he had them together. In verse 24, Festus said to King Agrippa and to all the gentlemen who were there, he says, you see this man, this guy Paul, whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me in Jerusalem and also here declaring that he ought not to live anymore. We ought to put him to death. He says in verse 25, I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. But, but, watch. But, he says, since I have found nothing definite about him, verse 26, nothing definite about him to write to my Lord, therefore I have brought him before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this investigation has taken place, I might have something to write to the emperor. 
Because, he says in verse 27, it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner, not also indicating the charges against him. You see, over and over again, Paul stood before people who put him on trial and they found nothing that he had done wrong. He is, he is innocent. And yet he's still in prison. He's still being held. He is still being threatened to, to take his life. And they don't know what to do with this guy. And Agrippa, Agrippa was the perfect person for Festus. Agrippa and Bernice just happened to come into Caesarea. There's no mention of why they're there. They just happened to come. And as we already read in verse 22 of chapter 25, Agrippa, hearing about Paul, says, I would like to hear him myself. And he says, okay, you can hear about him tomorrow. And the reason Agrippa was so important is Paul lets us know, and he's not flattering the king. The king knew the things about the Jewish faith. And so Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 26, look, in regard to all the things Paul is speaking, of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today. Especially, verse 3, especially because Paul says, you, King Agrippa, you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, he's not pumping him up. Agrippa knew things about the Jewish faith. But I also feel that Paul was sending Agrippa kind of a, a notice. Listen to me. Listen to me closely. He wanted the words of salvation to touch the king's heart. But as we noted last week, and as I said to you already this morning, Paul's main concern was not this trial and that he would be freed. No, he, his concern was the people who were hearing him either that day or today as we read through these words, the people who hear what he has to say would be converted to believe in Christ. You see, Paul didn't necessarily want his freedom. He was already free. What he was begging for was their freedom, their freedom from their sin. You can see it. Look again back at verse 24 in in chapter 26. Festus and Agrippa, when Paul was sharing his faith with them, faith with them, it says in verse 24, what Paul was saying in his, in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Paul says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not, most excellent Festus. I'm uttering words to you of sober truth. He says, verse 26, this is really important, the king, Agrippa, Agrippa knows about what I'm saying. He knows about these matters. I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Folks, we have said throughout studying the word of God that Jesus Christ did everything he did for everyone to see because he wanted people to believe that he was the Messiah, that he was God, a very God, that he and he alone would forgive them of their sins. So he didn't do anything that he did in a corner. He did it wide open so that everyone could see. And so did the disciples and the apostles. And so Paul then, after he said, King Agrippa, you've seen this. Nothing that has been done has been done in a corner. You've seen it all. And then he looked at him in verse 27 and said, Do you believe the prophets? Do you? I know that you do. You see, it's interesting here. You and I will find no answer from King Agrippa concerning that question. Do you know that it's possible, folks, for a person to believe and know the facts that Jesus Christ lived, that He died, that He rose from the dead? 
people, some people know that very well and yet they've never trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. A person may know the facts of the gospel. They might know all these things about Jesus Christ his, and, and the forgiveness of sin and, and that He rose from the dead. But your belief and your action on those facts must travel from here to where? Here. And here's what I, example I thought of last night while I was talking. One of my favorite things about a church are, are couples with young kids. The, the, the growth of the church is in the young people. Those of us who are older, we ought to help as much as we can for our young people to, to be excited to come to church and, to, and to, to build upon this church. We're to leave them a legacy. That's my desire, strongly my desire. But one of the things I love about young people is just their enthusiasm and their excitement, and especially young people that are about to have a baby. And, and uh, not you guys, you already know. You already know what Addison, what it's like. But see if you don't think this is true. I talk to young people and I say, man, wait, wait till you get pregnant, wait till you have a child. And they'll say, oh, I know about love. Uh, we have this little little doggy. We have little, little Trixies. Trixies are little Trixies, everything to us. So oh, I love Trixie with all my heart and all my soul. And I don't say anything, but I think in nine months, Trixie's going to be an afterthought. (laughs) Trixie's going to be in a corner saying, what about me? Because that moment that baby comes out, the moment you lay your eyes on Addison, the moment you lay your eyes on that baby, something triggers off in your heart and mind. And there's a love for that child like you can hardly explain. I I mean, I I remember it when my son, John Mark, was born some 30-some years ago. When I laid eyes on him, I thought, oh my God, how can anybody have that much love for one person he hardly knows? That same passion, folks, ought to be the passion that you and I have for our Savior. That understanding of who he is, that belief that we we know who he is, we know that he's died for us, we know that he has forgiven us our sins, that passion has to move from here to here. And I believe that's what Paul is saying to these people. He is saying that, that they need to understand the passion of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And so Paul asks King Agrippa, you, you believe in the prophets. You do, don't you? He doesn't answer. Don't ever forget Paul's major concern for King Agrippa and all those people there and every single one of us who is reading his words today was not his innocence but that people who would hear him would come to believe. King Agrippa understood that message loud and clear. King Agrippa knew what Paul was saying. He wasn't fighting for his life right there. He was fighting for his, King Agrippa's life, because King Agrippa said in verse 28, Paul, in a short time, if you don't stop, you're going to convert me. You're going to convince me that I ought to be a Christian. Bingo! That's exactly what Paul was trying to do. And so Paul's response was was passion, passion complete. He said, oh, King, I wish to God, I wish to God Almighty that whether it's a short time or a long time, not only you, but everybody here who's hearing my words will become as I am, passionate in their love for Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says so that they might understand from verses 4 to 11. It is 
It is textbook wonderful. Paul shows how shocking and complete his conversion to come to walk with Jesus Christ is. Therefore, because of Paul's background, he is saying to King Agrippa and to Bernice and to Festus and everyone there and to you and to me, we all have a hope, every one of us. There is nothing that you and I have done that is so monumental that God has not died for us and given us freedom from our sin, given us everlasting life. Paul mentioned just a simple word. He says, well, let's read it. Read with me again verses 4, excuse me, verses, um, yeah, 4 and 5. He says in verse 4, all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. In other words, everybody knows me here. I'm not hiding from anyone. They know who I am and what I've, what I've been. I spent my, my, my time in Jerusalem and since, verse 5, since they have known about me for a long time previously, and he's saying if they're willing to testify, in other words, anyone here can testify to you who I am and what I did and what I lived for. He says in verse 5, if they're willing... They can tell you that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Now, why is that so important? Turn with me, please. If you hold your place here, turn with me, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians is to the right. You're going to be in Acts, and you're going to go past the book of Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll hit Galatians. So it's just a little bit to your right. And here's what Paul says about himself being a Pharisee. What he is showing... You and me, he is showing King Agrippa and Bernice and everybody there how utterly remarkable his conversion was from a Pharisee to now a follower of Jesus Christ. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to what? I tried to destroy the church. Is this just someone who is uh, uh, just a casual sin? No, no. This is a guy that killed innocent people, put them to death. This is a guy who put innocent people on trial. If they didn't convict that person to die, he tried to make them blaspheme and tried to make them denounce what they believed in Jesus Christ. And yet, on the road to Damascus, as we're going to see next time, on the road to Damascus, as he's going to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ himself stops him dead in his tracks, knocks him to the ground because of great light that shines around him and says, Paul, Paul, why in the world are you persecuting me? And Paul said to him, who are you? Who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so he's blinded. And so Jesus ends up telling him, go into the city of Damascus, stay in a street called Straight. Someone's going to come to you, lay hands on you, and you're going to regain your sight. So Paul goes into Damascus. He's waiting there. And then Jesus Christ appears before a certain disciple, it says. This is all in Acts chapter 9. Appears before a certain disciple, just a a believer in Jesus Christ, a guy called Ananias, just a certain guy. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go down to the street called Straight. I want you to lay hands on a guy named Saul. And I says, he's going to regain his sight, the Lord said. Ananias says to him, we've heard about this guy, Saul. He's, 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 he's done many things to, to, the, to the church. He's, he's tried to destroy us. He is, 
taken some people. Maybe Ananias had a family member, a friend, someone who Paul voted to put him to death. And he said, he questioned the Lord's in, uh, wanting him to do that. And, and, and the Lord said to him, no, no, no. No, you go because Paul is what? What, what, did, what did Jesus Christ call Paul? A chosen instrument of mine, said God, said Jesus. Here's Paul who tried to destroy the church, killed people, innocent people, put them in prison, tortured them. And our Lord calls him a chosen instrument of his. Paul was letting King Agrippa and Bernice and all of those people there know that God will forgive them of anything they have done. He being a Pharisee. In verse 14 he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. Among my countrymen, I became more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. In other words, my traditions meant more to me than my faith. Paul confirmed his commitment to the teachings of the Old Testament when he says in verses 6 and 7, turn back please to Acts chapter 26, look, and says now, he says, I lived as a Pharisee, okay, I, I did the most despicable things to the church, but now I am standing on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. That's verse 6, verse 7, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. This hope and this promise, which Paul is speaking of, was the hope and the promise of the coming Messiah. That the Messiah came, that God sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's the hope and the promise that every person there understood. That the Messiah would come and take away our sin. That the Messiah would come and establish His kingdom of righteousness within us. Everyone, Jew as well as Gentile, to all who might believe in Him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and do what only the Messiah could do, and that is forgive you and me of our sin. And so Paul asks in verse 8, then why am I being condemned? Why am I in trial? I simply believe what the Jewish people believed, and what they had hoped for, they hoped for the promise. The promise came, and I believe in it. Look what he says, verse, verse 8. Why is it considered incredible? Why does it seem incredible among you people if God raises someone from the dead? You see, by raising Jesus Christ from the dead, God assured the promises of the resurrection and at the same time demonstrated that Jesus Christ, who was nailed to the cross, who died, who was buried, three days later rose from the dead, proved that He was exactly the promise, the one that was hoped for. That's why I say to you every day is Easter for us. This is an Easter message, isn't it? This is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when people come, when we have an Easter service and they come, and some people who hardly ever come to church will come, we'll tell them, thank you for coming. We love you with all of our hearts. We want to celebrate Easter Sunday. But I say to them every time they come, this is only one of many, many Easter's that we celebrate throughout the year. 
Because we believe in a resurrected Lord every day of our lives. He is our Savior. He is our resurrected Lord whom we love. And you see, most of the Jews there, they accepted the fact that there is going to be a resurrection. You don't need to turn there, but in John chapter 5, Jesus said, Don't marvel at this. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. And they will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. That's what scared Felix to death. Judgment. He felt like he wasn't going to get to go to the resurrection of life. He was going to go to the resurrection of judgment. I tell you what, that is exactly what I thought. That's the one thing, the one hope I had. No one had to convince me that I was a sinner when I was a young man. I believed that that if I died, I was going to hell. And I wanted to know how not to. And someone loved me enough to tell me about Jesus Christ. Asked me to read and hear what is the truth. And see if I could not figure out the sober truth, my own self, or the somber truth. When Jesus Christ went to a village of three people whom he loved, one of them was dead by the name of Lazarus. He died four days earlier. When Jesus Christ arise, arise, came to the village, Martha, Lazarus' sister, ran to him and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. That's how much faith they had in him. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, your brother will rise again. She said, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. You see, the resurrection was a hope, a promise that everybody believed in. While Agrippa had no doubt accepted the general belief that there was going to be a resurrection, he, like most others, whether they were Jew or Gentile, did not accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as God of very God. By the way, by the way, Paul understood that perfectly well. He once believed the same way as King Agrippa. He believed the same way as most of the people in that room that he was speaking to. Verse 9, he once thought that he had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus, and that is just what he did do. Not only did he put believers in jail, but in verse 10 he says, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Kill them. Kill them. They're innocent. I don't care. Kill them. In verse 11, we are told he tortured killed them, punished them, tried to make them blaspheme the name of God. You see, if he couldn't kill them, at least he wanted to force them to deny their faith. Yet Paul, who came to believe in Jesus Christ when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, was called by God Almighty in the midst of doing all of those despicable things, a chosen instrument of mine. And Paul said these words for you and for me. He wanted to make sure that King Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, all those prominent people, and you and me did not doubt, did not doubt that no matter what we have done, our God would forgive us if we just came to trust and believe in Him, ask Him to be our Lord and our Savior. Don't you know if God so wished to save a murderer, a blasphemer like Paul, he'll want to save you and me too. 
no matter what you might think, is keeping him from loving you in spite of what you have done against him or others. He is willing to forgive you if you'll allow him. If you'll take the knowledge of what you just heard and move it some, I don't know how many inches to your heart and believe. And so for those of you here this morning that, it, that you don't know for certain you're a believer or not, good God Almighty, don't go another moment. Why live another moment without knowing for certain that you've asked Christ in your heart? What is today? June what? 8th? Isn't it the 8th? June the 8th, 2008. I know of no better day to come to know the Lord. No better day. For those of us who know the Lord, stop asking Him into your heart. You've already asked Him in. Now start being a nice person. And when you do sin, ask Him to forgive you, but not to come back into your heart. It's like slapping Him in the face. He's already come into your heart. Now when you sin, deal with your sin, not with His presence within you. For those of us who know Him, if He is speaking to you this morning, if you feel that twinge within your heart, that's the Holy Spirit of God trying to give you the desire of His and your heart to allow you to live a life of passion, to allow you to live a life that is meaningful for the Lord. To give you life. Father in heaven, our dearest Father, there are people here this moment right now wrestling with what they just heard. I pray that you would not only convict them if they need that, but comfort them also. Let them know of the hope and the promise that you have given to all of us if we just believe and trust in you. And I'm certain, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond certain that if Paul were here, he would be pleading for us to be passionate about our faith. To not let another day go by where we don't live for you with all the gusto that we have to be your ambassadors. To be the royalty that we've been called to be. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Dear Father, open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, in our thoughts so that we might behold the wonders of your amazing grace. Thank you for this day. Bless everybody here, I pray, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Have a great, great day. I'll see you next week, I hope. Love you. Thanks for being here.